Welcome to the College Football Survivor Show, where playoff survival is always on the line. Here are your co-hosts, Doug Maurice and Shahan Jeharaja. And we're back on the College Football Survivor Show, Doug and Shahan. And Shahan, I'm wondering if I'm an old man about this topic. I know I'm an old man about most topics, but I remain um, just like not ill at ease, but just sometimes I feel a little weird about the transfer portal in college sports, depending on the situation. And what got me thinking about the topic we're going to address today, which is sort of how teams with playoff hope should handle the transfer portal, both bringing guys in. But I also think we have to talk about losing guys, because sometimes we only talk about one side of the equation, but it really is two sides. And there are times when good teams lose good players. And you have to take that into account a little bit. But this is spurred to me by a women's basketball transfer portal move. And it's Haley Van Lith from Louisville, who was not an All-American this year, but she was first team All-ACC at Louisville. She was the best player on a team that made the Elite Eight. She averaged 19 points a game for Louisville. I think their second highest score averaged 11. She's excellent. And she announced that she's going in the transfer portal. And I'm trying, that just, I thought to myself when I heard that, Shahan, huh, she's pretty good. And she plays for a good program. So I got to thinking, how often have we seen similar moves like that? And if we had that kind of move in college football, how would we feel about it? But off the top, I'm old, you're young. How do you feel about transfer portal news? You wrote a big story about the portal for CBSSports.com two weeks ago. Are you just completely, hey, it's part of college football now. Players move. They have the right to move. You know, it's just kind of what we do. Or is there a part of you that your gears still grind a little bit, depending on the situation? I think that the one thing that I don't love about it is I don't like it when sort of whole teams flip over. And actually, that's something that's made it a little bit more difficult for me with college basketball is because, you know, obviously you just have entire starting lineups essentially started with guys who were not on the team last year. And to me, the most fun part, especially about college football, but about college basketball too, is getting to see guys develop, is getting to see teams stay for three or four years and see this person who maybe you saw as a recruit back four years ago come through the program and turn into the the good player on your team. And I don't know, it doesn't quite hit the same at times when it's being built through transfers. Now, I, I think that for me, you know, look, when a, when a team adds a transfer to fill a hole as opposed to, to build the bulk of their team, that's fine with me, right? If, if you just kind of are working around the edges a little bit. But when you have some of these teams and programs that are ultimately, uh, you know, almost mostly transfer built, that's a weird situation to me. Uh, I, I do think, though, that this is also just kind of like the gold rush, right? This is this is the first moment when transfers are fully open and everybody doesn't want to get left behind. And so I think that it's eventually going to settle down. But, I mean, it is it is a strange situation. And the other part that I don't love about it is that you look at the situation that that high schoolers who are trying to come into college are looking at. There are so many fewer spots in the power five in major division one college football for uh, players coming out of high school because of the amount of transfers that are, that are coming through. So I, I have some complicated feelings about it. I ultimately think though, 
you know, as long as the player is the one making the decision to transfer, I'm in support of it. But it's it's definitely a more complicated situation than just saying it's all good. So this is probably not fair. And even I mean, every can I just give it give the caveat of everything I say in this podcast, I'm going to say through gritted teeth. It's the right <laughs> thing to do, but I don't know how right. I feel about it. So generally, I think with the transfer portal, if it's a player going from a smaller or mid-tier program to a bigger program, I think you get it, right? Maybe out of high school, you weren't recruited by the best of the best, and then you go to a good program and you're excellent. And now it's like, well, now I want more. You know, Seth Curry after Steph Curry stayed at Davidson the whole time, Seth Curry went to Davidson and was like, you know, and then Duke was like, well, you, we take you now. And he's like, oh, well, I can go to Duke now. It's like, okay, well, I don't know. No offense to Davidson, but if you can go play for Duke, you go play for Duke. It, it actually so, was Liberty, by the way, that Seth Curry played at. Uh, he didn't play oh, at no, the same if school. Gone, if he would have gone to Davidson, he would have stayed at Davidson. Probably, yeah, yeah, of course, Davidson, of course. Liberty, sorry. Hugh Freeze must not have been at Liberty yet because if Hugh Freeze would have been a football coach, nobody would have left. I apologize. So that's a Curry making a jump up like if Duke comes calling, okay, right? If if that happens in college football, Jared Verse, who is a guy at Florida State, who was one of the best edge guys in the country last year, a lot of people were surprised that he stayed at Florida State. He's going to be a big – he's a big part of why a lot of people, including me, are thinking Florida State could be a playoff team. He transferred from Albany. He went to Albany as a tight end, transferred to, to uh, change positions to defensive end. And everybody's like, oh, you're awesome now. You know who did that once upon a time? J.J. Watt. J.J. Watt was in the MAC and transferred to Wisconsin. It was like, oh, now you're J.J. Watt. So like that kind of thing, Shahan. So, sorry, are, you, are, you calling, are, are you calling Central Michigan basically the same thing as Albany? I don't know. Is that wrong? They're both uh, in the top part of the country. <laughs> you're the Midwesterner. I don't know. I guess uh, I guess you could take the heat on that one. Oh, why the Chippewas coming for me? Is that how this works? <laughs> like, oh, how dare you slander Central Michigan by lumping us in with Albany? They can make T-shirts. We're better than Albany. Sorry, Central Michigan. So, like that kind of thing. We we get that, right? I think we all get that because that's always happened. And then I think you get, hey, you're at a good place, and maybe you're not playing as much as you want, right? I think Joe Burrow is an example of this. I think Justin Fields is an example of this. Joe Burrow was in a quarterback battle at Ohio State, and Dwayne Haskins was ahead of him at the time that he decided to transfer to LSU. He wasn't Ohio State's starting quarterback and then said, ah, you know what, I'm out of here. Justin Fields played as a freshman at Georgia, but he wasn't the starting quarterback. He was a wrinkle quarterback and didn't know what his future was and was like, okay, I'm out of here and went to Ohio State. So if you're not a starter, if your role isn't as big as you want it to be, and you're going from major program to major program, I think we get that, right? Do you agree that sort of those are two of the or, – or if you're at a big-time program and you just want to play more, right? Like, you know, even Drew Sanders at Alabama is a linebacker. He leaves Alabama, he goes to Arkansas, he's first-team All-American. And Alabama, I'm sure, would have liked to have him. But, you know, you go to Arkansas, you're gonna, you're going from the best one of the two best programs in the country to a good program, but where you're going to be the star. Do we do we get those two kinds of transfers, Sean? Absolutely. Where you have a situation where ultimately long term, you are able to greatly benefit your football career to, uh, to, to make a move, whether it is, like you said, moving to a much higher level of competition where you'll get more attention. Or whether it's just for playing time. I think that both of those are reasonable situations to transfer, for sure. So what if Caitlin Clark was transferring right now? 
instead of Haley Van Lith, who is maybe the 18th best player in women's college basketball for an elite eight team going in the portal. What if it was Caitlin Clark, who's the best player in women's college basketball for a team that made the national title game? And she was just like, you know what? Love you, Iowa. But I think maybe I can go play for South Carolina or Connecticut or Stanford or maybe somebody with a little bit more of a of a blue blood resume in women's college basketball. Would everybody be cool with that or would people be freaking out if Caitlin Clark was in the portal? No, I mean, so the thing about that, right, and the thing about players who are already sort of impacting major college football in that way or major college sports, I guess, in this case, in this way, is that it almost changes the whole dynamic of the entire sport if something like that were to happen right where you have this team like you mentioned that made the national championship game and you're looking at them a certain way and you're looking at the 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 whole landscape a certain way and for a player to basically decide i'm leaving and i'm going somewhere else i mean that changes the whole landscape uh you, you know and and obviously we see that happen at times with coaches i mean for goodness sake, Kim Mulkey leaving Baylor for LSU changed the entire landscape of the sport. But I mean, I don't know. I think it's different with players where you have this limited time with them. And it's interesting, too, because she, you know, Haley Van Lith specifically plays at Louisville, which is a fantastic women's basketball school. You know, Tim Walls over there. uh, No, Jeff Walls. Tim Walls is a governor somewhere. Um, He's (laughs) that'd be a good game. That would be a good game. (laughs) Women's college basketball coach or governor. I think he's. Go- I think fun. Tim Walsh is governor of of Minnesota. <laughs> anyway, Jeff Walsh, I believe his name is. Uh, there's there's too many walls. I don't know. This was not a. Yeah, it is Jeff Walsh. How about that? Uh, anyway, Louisville know, is a great. Do you know who the governor of Minnesota is? Living down do. there in Texas. I do. I do. How many I know governors do you think the- you could name? Could you name more uh, than uh, half the governors in the United States? Yeah, yeah. I could name more than half the governors. I, I'm. I, I like politics, man. I, I can talk to you about some Mike DeWine. I can, uh, you know, whatever. <laughs> some some Josh wow. Shapiro in your home state. Uh, you know, wow. I can. I can do this. <laughs> what are we doing? Well, kind of let me write this down. Off season podcast name that governor with Sean. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I could probably name eleven. I could probably name eleven. I, I, like mean, I could I name I Ron DeSantis and Gavin Newsom because they both like microphones. <laughs> and other than that, I'm not sure where I would you go. You can't name my boy Greg Abbott. <laughs> no, I guess I could name Greg Abbott. It's like we all we all know the ones that everybody can name. The governors yes, who yes. are just governing, right? If all you do is govern. We have no idea who you are. <laughs> you have a microphone in front of your face every day, then we know who you are. Anyway, point is, Jeff Walls, head coach at Louisville, built a great program. Uh, you know, they've been in Elite Eights. They've been, you know, I think they've been to Final Fours as well. So, like, it's not like she's leaving a bad program, right? It's not yeah. like she's leaving something where she was a one-woman show. Louisville's a good program. And... I think that it just changes the dynamics of the sports in a really difficult way. And also, by the way, like, look, maybe part of this is because the Albany fan or the Central Michigan fan is just, like, not really considered in the national consciousness. 
but Iowa fans most definitely are. I mean, we kind of had this situation last year in some ways with Caleb Williams and Lincoln Riley going from Oklahoma to USC, and it's all we heard about all season long. You know, that this was a big deal and it made people very upset. And no, I do think that there is something that is unfortunate about the idea of a player transferring and you having to potentially play against them. Actually, uh, down here at, at Baylor, right, uh, LJ Cryer averaged 15 points a game, really good guard. Uh, he decided to transfer to Houston. He's going to be playing in the same conference as Baylor next year. Like, you know, as somebody who obviously Baylor fans have watched for three years and been rooting for, that's kind of a difficult situation. And I think that we can at least acknowledge that. So I'm trying to get a handle on on where we are in college football with this discussion. And I will say off the top, four of the last six Heisman Trophy winners are transfer quarterbacks. So Lincoln Riley. to, To act like, oh my God, how dare we have transfers? Like, what are we talking about? So 2017, Baker Mayfield. 2018, Kyler Murray. And also Will Greer finished fourth and Gardner Minshew finished fifth. They were also transfer quarterbacks. 2019, Joe Burrow, number two in that race, Jalen Hurts, transfer quarterback. Number three, Justin Fields, transfer quarterback. So the top three guys in 2019 in the Heisman race, all transfer quarterbacks, 20 and 21, more normal 2022, Caleb Williams, transfer quarterback. And again, a lot of this is Lincoln Riley driven. But I still think none of those quite hit the Haley Van Lith standard because Baker Mayfield and Kyler Murray were both making jumps up to Oklahoma. Joe Burrow left Ohio State because he wasn't the starter at the time. Justin Fields left Georgia when he wasn't the starter at the time. Gardner Minshew made a jump up to Washington State, kind of like a last part of his career thing to go play in that offense, right? Um, Caleb Williams is a, is a different circumstance. I think the Caleb Williams circumstance is what I'm talking about, Shahan. If it's not that you're following your coach, if Caleb Williams, if Lincoln Riley stayed at Oklahoma and then Caleb Williams was just like, you know what? USC just hired Cliff Kingsbury to be a senior offensive analyst in charge of uh, cleaning the pool or whatever he's going to do at at USC. If Cliff Kingsbury had been hired as the head coach at USC and Lincoln Riley was still at Oklahoma and Caleb Williams was just said, I want to go to L.A. Thanks, Lincoln. Thanks for playing me as a freshman. This was cool, but I'm out of here. That's a very different situation than he follows Lincoln Riley to USC, right? And I don't think we've had that yet in college football. And what's going to happen when we do? Are we all going to be cool like Fonzie or are people going to be freaking out? Because we're going to run through a couple of like the most impactful transfers in the last year or two since the portal really got going that affected playoff teams. And then we want to talk about how playoff teams really should best go about the portal. But imagine Caleb Williams to USC without the Lincoln Raleigh component. Would everybody be fine? Or would we think the fabric of college football had been torn apart? I I think that absolutely everybody would be freaking out. Uh, Everybody would be freaking out. I think that we even saw that at times with Caleb Williams with the, I think that he got 
I mean, there's a lot of reasons that I think are very unfair, but he got a lot of hate this year. I mean, he was probably the most scrutinized player, I think you could argue, in all of college football this year, from his transfer decision, obviously making him a villain at Oklahoma, to obviously the the whole Lincoln-Riley deal out at USC. Uh, I, I mean, he was very, very scrutinized. And I think that you're right. If he wasn't coming with Lincoln-Riley, it would have been worse. And I, I think that... You know, that's that's obviously not a good enough reason to not go somewhere. But certainly, I mean, I think that it is one thing for, for example, Ohio State to lose Joe Burrow, a really talented quarterback, because they had the guy that they wanted instead. And it is another thing for a blue blood program in Oklahoma to replace Caleb Williams with Dylan Gabriel, a player who is not close to the same caliber of player as him. And trust me, you'll hear about it. Yeah. Okay, we we want to. What I want to get is how this affects the playoff race, how we think it could change the playoff race even more going forward. But also, we kind of want to make fun of Texas A and M a little bit. So we'll do that coming up next on the College Football Survivor Show. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to sixty percent on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin, or Becky's bachelorette bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. And we're back on the College Football Survivor Show. Sometimes I call it the CFSS. You guys can use that shorthand if you want with your friends. Hey, friend, did you listen to the CFSS? That, actually, that's a bad acronym. C, it doesn't come off the CFSS. It, it, it's bad. Yeah. Yeah, no, okay. it's, it's not good. I, I, feel like, I feel like you can at least do the CFB. Like, at least, like, get us in like a headspace of, of like letters that we recognize. Yeah. But Co- I, yeah. CFBS. I don't know. Okay. Just call it, just call it the Doug and Jahan show. It's fine. Okay. So let's make fun of Texas A&M. Not in a bad way, just in a friendly way, because this has to be addressed like the out, right? The out Texas A&M in the class of 2022 famously had the number one recruiting class in the country. Signed 30 players. Signed. I don't even, I don't even lost count, like 14 or something top 100 players. So these players have been in college one year, Shahan. By my count, and I double checked this twice, of those 30 signees, do you know how many of them have already transferred from Texas A&M after one year? Is it like 12? It's actually, it's only seven. Okay. But that's still a lot. And it's that's still six- a lot. It's six of their top 20 recruits in that class. And it is five top 100 national players that have left their class. I mean, the idea in a normal recruiting class, if you sign five top 100 players, that's great. They signed so many, they lost five top 100 players after a year. And like, they're still... Kind of fine, because they still have more than five left. But we have to, they got a little run on signing day two years ago, right? Like, hey, Texas A&M beat Alabama, the number one recruiting class in the country, and it was fake. Like, it wasn't real. 
And I don't know what the answer is. I guess the answer is they finished last in the SEC West. So that's the answer. Sometimes We've talked about this the other day on another show. Sometimes I feel like we treat on-field results as something that will help you get talent. Hey, if you win, maybe you can recruit better. And we need a reminder sometimes, you know, the idea is not to win recruiting rankings. The idea is to win football games. Winning is the point. Winning to recruit better is not the point. Recruiting to win more is the point. So I guess we don't have to go out of our way to punish Texas A&M because they punish themselves by being the equivalent of Vanderbilt in the SEC this year in a world where they were coming off the number one recruiting class in the country. But is this not remarkable? And is this part of what, and I would say the point here again is, what should playoff teams do to succeed in the portal era? How should good teams go about it? This ain't it. So congratulations on looking cool in December when you sign the class. But like, this is not it, Sean. Well, I, I actually have uh, worse stats if you're interested. So <laughs> I, I, <laughs> um, th- this actually comes courtesy the athletic Sam Kahn, a good friend of mine. Between the 2018, 19, and 20 recruiting classes, they signed 76 players. Can you guess? How many of 76 players either transferred, retired, or medical or did not finish their career? Out of 76. Half. Half. Which would be, what, 38? 50. Oh! <laughs> 50 players did not finish their careers at Texas A&M. I will say, 15 are still playing at Texas A&M. 11 finished their career. So there's still time for those other 15 to still transfer. There's still time. It's crazy. It's crazy. I know that, look, recruiting in general is oftentimes about hype, is about believing that something's good. You know, it's the idea of saying, we got the number one recruiting class all time. We should be considered as one of these elite recruiting powers. But like you said, you can't do this and then lose all of your players. You just can't. It, this isn't how any of this works. I will mention Texas A&M still fourth in talent composite this past year. So it's not like they didn't have players. But, you know, one thing that I think that, uh, and this really does not need to turn into a full-scale breakdown of Texas A&M recruiting. But, uh, you know, one thing is they are kind of willing to take any of the like high end players who will come without much regard for roster building and their defensive line coaches, Elijah Robinson and Terry price are incredible, like super, super good. Look at all the good players right now in the NFL that came from Texas A&M. Most of them are defensive linemen because they recruit and develop at a high level and they kind of don't do that anywhere else. They don't have good receivers. They don't have good quarterbacks right now. Their offensive line play, not very good. Like, so it doesn't really mean anything. I, you know, there's not really like a beautiful way to sit here and try to normalize for roster fit and team need whenever you're coming to evaluating recruiting classes. But, uh, you know, look, this is the flip side of it. Uh, you know, obviously we talk about having transfer heavy teams and rosters. This is the opposite of it is just recruiting players because you think that they'll look nice on your star, uh, like from a star rating perspective. And, and to give them credit, they actually they had 18 
of the top 100 players by the 2.47 composite rating. They have basically almost a fifth of the top 100 players went to one school. So to lose five after a year, they still have 13 of them, which is, again, 13 top 100 players is more than anybody else anyway, right? So, but it's just, you, you have to keep it in context. And I do, and I certainly asked about this, when you're recruiting against a school like Texas A&M, if they get a guy that you like, the, the program that didn't get the player, do you almost not keep recruiting him, but do you take, like, do you, do you keep that seed planted of, well, you know, well, he went to Texas A&M, but we might be able to get him in a year. And, so, and I think we, we, we've, we, we could run through a couple of the guys that have already left Texas A&M where they've gone. I think that happened a couple places. Yeah. Yeah. No, actually, um, and this is actually a dynamic big picture that is absolutely huge in college football. So one thing that will happen, I, I heard this story second or third hand, is that at Southern Miss, you know, Will Hall comes in, uh, longtime Southerner, former Willie Fritz offensive coordinator. They go and visit and build relationships with kids that they will never have a chance at. Never, ever. Like the super high end, five star, four star type kid. Like they'll, they'll still take the time to go and do it, even though they know that they're never going to land this kid as a high school recruit because of that factor, because of the transfer portal, because they know, look, you're from Mississippi. You're from right down the road from us. You always have a home here. You, you can always come back here. You're welcome here anytime. And, this stuff matters. And, you know, the reality is it's a lot more fun to be part of a number one recruiting class than have to find your way through a roster filled with kids who all believe they're from the number one recruiting class. It's a totally different dynamic once you actually get on campus. And by the way, that's something that I think actually gets lost at Alabama. I, I read a uh, great book by Joe Goodman, our, our friend over from AL.com, where he talks about Alabama players saying, you know, you either are one of us and you can cut it or you're not, you know, you, we, we have no issue being the number seven player in the class and waiting four years to start. We got no issue with that because we're Alabama and we do that. I think Alabama does a great job of that. I think Georgia does a great job of that. I think Ohio state does a great job of that. That's a hard thing that we take for granted to keep kids who are highly rated on campus. And uh, I think you're absolutely right. If, if somebody does go to Texas A&M, if somebody does go to Miami, if someone does go to Tennessee, I, I think you got to stick with them because you don't necessarily know that they're going to know what to do when these kids get on campus. So the, the stat that you cited before, just to boil that down even a little bit more, the class of 2021, Texas A&M was ninth in the country with that class. After two years, they've lost seven of the top 10 players from that class. Jeez. So after two years, so now they've lost seven of the 30 after one year from the class of 2022 when they were number one. They did keep, they signed one, two, three, four, five, six of the top 22 players by the 247 composite rating. They kept all of them. The highest ranked guy that they lost after one year, Denver Harris, the cornerback, transferred from Texas A&M to LSU. So that's a big deal. That's a five-star player going to LSU, and LSU has a chance to be a playoff contender this year. Chris Marshall, receiver, number 25 player, he transferred to Ole Miss. That feels like not quite as big of a deal because I don't know that we think that Ole Miss is going to be a playoff contender this year, but he's still a good talent out the door. 
Number 59 player, Anthony Lucas, he transferred to USC on the defensive line. That feels like a big deal, Sean, right? Like this is USC. They're building things there. They need guys. That's a big transfer. This is maybe the biggest one. Smoke Bowie in the secondary. He was the number 68 overall player in that class. He transfers to Georgia. And I think he has a chance to make an impact to Georgia right away. PJ Williams on the offensive line was the number 69 player. He transfers to SMU. Then we have, uh, let's see. Marquise Groves Killebrew is the number 114 player. He transfers to Louisville. And then Ish Harris, a linebacker, he was the number 374 player. He transfers to Houston. But there's three guys in there, Shahan, who are top 100 players who are leaving Texas A&M after one year to go to LSU, USC, and Georgia and might make a difference. And USC, LSU, and Georgia were waiting. They're like, okay. I don't know. I don't know. You know, you know I, I know there was a guy, and I'm not saying that like – there was any reason behind this. There was a guy that Ohio state recruited really hard in the class before in the class of 2021 that they thought, I think they thought they were going to get, and they didn't was a top 100 player. And when he left Texas A&M, but he didn't come to Ohio state. So like they maybe had planted a seed, but then when the tree had grown a little bit, that did not work out. But here you have this, it's almost like a second round of recruiting. And if you are USC, LSU and Georgia, is this a smart thing to do? Monitor things like this, and not only at Texas A&M, but anytime there's a great player, a great recruit who maybe winds up going to a school. And I don't I don't want to say this. Listen, NIL is leveling the playing field. But I think if you would look at programs like Miami, if you look at programs like Texas A&M, like Tennessee, Auburn, some programs like that who are maybe using NIL effectively, they're very good programs. They're not Alabama, Georgia, LSU, USC, Ohio State. They're not. So if you're those on the top one or two tier and you lose a recruit to sort of like a third tier program, and third tier meaning like one of the 10 through 20 programs in the country, do you keep do you keep watering that seed? Because there might be guys who, for very good NIL reasons, and not only NIL reasons, but NIL part of it, make a decision and then... Once they're there, think, you know what? I just think if this top five program wants me, maybe I'll transfer. Do we have to get used to this? I think so. And and I think a big part of it is ultimately, look, there are players who are uh, kind of like what I was talking about with Southern Miss, right? There are guys who are always takes, right? Just always, always takes. No matter when you can get them, they are just so talented that you want to take them. And, and you mentioned, obviously, Denver Harris as being one of those types of players, the a consensus five-star, uh, potentially the number one corner in the entire country coming out of high school, uh, somebody who was from Houston, I believe. And uh, and so good relationships with that LSU staff. Um, I, I think that's, you know, a similar kid who actually went to the same high school as, as Denver Harris, Zach Evans. That was a no-doubt take for Ole Miss. They stayed on him because, you know what, like he, he had that level of talent. He was the number one running back coming out. So I think that when you are talking about guys who you would take whenever, there's no reason to to ever break relationships with them because you know that you're going to get a sh- second shot at them at some point. So, uh, look, I, I do think that the distinction is when we talk about the USC's, well, maybe less the USC's, but the LSU's and the Georgia's and the Alabama's, it is going to be working around the edges. It is going to be a little bit more filling holes than it is going to be building entire rosters and taking 12 transfers to try to 
fix everything because you're not having this high level of attrition. But I do think that uh, that having that in your back pocket is really, really important. So let's run through a little bit more of the recent history of the big-time transfers from pretty big-time program to big-time program. And then in the end, I want us to come up with what should a great program that is trying to make the playoff, how should they go about it in the transfer portal? So 2021 is kind of like the first time, right? That's like when the portal really gets rolling again, like Joe Burrow, LSU won a national title because Joe Burrow transferred from Ohio State to LSU. Ohio State made a national championship game because Justin Fields transferred from Georgia to Ohio State. We have seen gigantic Oklahoma made a playoff because Baker Mayfield they and Kyler Murray, they made multiple playoffs because Baker Mayfield and Kyler Murray transferred to Oklahoma. So we can't pretend that we haven't seen this. But as we also covered, I still think those are just a little more traditional it didn't work out for me, and so I went somewhere else. Not, well, it very well might have worked out for me, but I left anyway. So 2021, that season, there's three names that I think are kind of at the top of the list of like really impactful big-time transfers. And again, I think this is these guys mattered, but Henry To'oto'o, linebacker from Tennessee that everybody wanted, Ohio State really wanted. He goes to Alabama. He's one of Alabama's best defensive players for two years. He helps them win. And leaving Tennessee, he's not leaving Albany or Central Michigan. I'm just going to go there all the time. So, like, that's a Jim McElwain is rolling in his grave I know, right I, now. I apologize. So, I, I, can you name the Albany head coach? <laughs> okay. That's fine. A little... There are limits to what I can okay. do. And apparently, that's one of them. I can uh, name the governor of New York who resides in, in, uh, <laughs> Albany, though, Kathy Hochul. Okay, we are seriously doing this. It will be the lowest rated <laughs> college football survivor show ever. <laughs> Although, but like, I, we'll get a little clock. We'll get a little TikTok clock as you try to name the governor of Montana. And I can't wait. No studying. No studying. It's only based on your knowledge right now. You cannot gain any more. We actually, <laughs> let's stop the pod. Let's stop. <laughs> I have to, okay, so I, I actually Tom, don't know Montana. I do know that Steve Bullock was previously the governor of Montana. Governor of Montana. I don't know the current one. That feels like now we're just like going back and naming former Oklahoma quarterbacks. It's like okay, Baker Mayfield, <laughs> Kyler Murray, Jalen Hurts, all these transfer Oklahoma quarterbacks. Can you name the last four man- Montana governors? Henry Tooto'o, big, Jamison Williams from Ohio State to Alabama. I don't think Alabama. Bama makes the national title game in 2021 without Jamison Williams? Like, is that fair to say? I think it's definitely fair to say. So that is a hugely impactful transfer. Both of these are to Bama, by the way. Hugely impactful transfer. It's from Ohio State to Alabama. It's two major programs, but he sort of didn't have a spot at Ohio State. Ohio State... He had started for Ohio State in 2020, but I think the way that I understand it is, you know, Ohio State had Chris Olave and had Garrett Wilson coming back, and they, I think, sort of had to make a choice between Jackson Smith and Jigba and Jamison Williams in terms of who would you say you 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 think is going to be the other starting receiver? And if you tell the, the both of those guys are starting quality receivers, but if you're trying to give an indication, I think they picked Jackson Smith and Jigba over Jamison Williams, and Jamison Williams said, okay, well, I got to start. I'm good enough to start, as he was, and he left. 
hugely impactful, but it's still, it's not like Chris Olave left. It's not like the guy who was Ohio State's number one receiver was like, ah, I'm gone. And then the other one, this really mattered. Darion Kendrick leaves Clemson to go to Georgia, and he's a multiple-time playoff guy because he made it at Clemson and he made it at Georgia. He helps Georgia win a national title. So I think that's those are three big, big-time impact players at impacting big-time schools. But I still think we understand that it's not the peak of what a transfer to a playoff contender would be. But it's kind of up there, right? No, I, I think so. You know, I, I do think, like you mentioned, with all of those guys, there were specific things, I think, that they were not especially happy about. And I do make that distinction between a superstar leaving one program to go to another one. All right. So let's run through what I thought were the most impactful transfers for the 2022 season. And again, if I'm leaving somebody out, email Shahan about it. So Caleb Williams, as we covered, right? It's a, it's a particular circumstance of following your coach. Quinn Ewers is another one to leave Ohio State to go to Texas. But as I say, I feel like he just transferred to Columbus High School for a year and was really not, it was Texas was his dream school. And then it got sideways at Texas. So he committed to Ohio State. He came to Ohio State. I don't know that he ever felt it. And then he left to go back when Steve Sarkeesian got hired. It was like, hey man, come home. So I, like, I don't think that, that's big. It's the number one player in the class. Transferring from a power to a should be power. Huge but also not like we get it. We 100% get it, right? Yeah, yeah. I think it makes sense. Uh, like you said, it was it was essentially like an apprenticeship year <laughs> that Quinn Ewers yeah. did at Ohio State. It's one of the, I mean, <clears throat> what a weird situation. The fact that a player can be so good that they can tell Ohio State, I'm just chilling. Like, Ohio State, one of the best quarterback rooms in the entire country, and he's just like, yeah, I don't know. I'll see what happens. And then goes to Texas anyway. So, yeah, that was that was barely a transfer. And also, contextualizing that is that Quinn Ewers was supposed to be a member of the class of 2022 anyway and reclassified right. to be able to, to essentially get a bag and get a free car and not actually play any football. Yeah, and he, he did it for a drink. And I, sometimes with the NIL stuff, I don't want to say the name of the drink because I'm not getting any money from the drink, <laughs> right? So That's most correct. of NIL is media being hoodwinked into giving free advertising to companies by writing stories about, hey, a college football player is promoting a, a company or a product. Let's write a story about it. It's like, what's the news value of it? Player gets money for endorsing product. How about, how about podcast gets money for endorsing product? So I'm not going to say it. And don't go look it up. Don't go Google what drink he did. Because I don't even think it's a drink anymore. Okay. So Quinn Ewers comes <laughs> to get a free drink. I think he got thousands of cans of free drinks to come do this. Jordan Addison. That's a big one. He's the Boletnikoff winner. He leaves Pitt to go to USC. Pitt had been a New Year's Six Bowl team, right? Had been really no, good. I mean, this was he, a big one. This was a big I, one. Is this the biggest one so far, even as we acknowledge that there is a difference between Pitt and USC, but Pitt was one of the 10 best teams in the country that year, and he was catching balls from a guy, from a quarterback who's going to be a first-round pick, but you still get him going to Lincoln Riley. But I think this is the biggest one so far, right? No, I mean, I think that, uh, put aside the Caleb Williams one because it was the following the coach thing, I, I think that 
Pitt fans probably have the most right to feel upset about this one out of any of the ones that we talk about. Because, I mean, Jordan Addison was like a fine recruit, but he developed at Pitt. He turned into a great player at Pitt, and Pitt had their best season I mean, ever in the modern era, at least, uh, you know, I guess maybe since that Johnny Majors national championship team, probably. Uh, and he just left. He just left. Obviously, Kenny Pickett was going to leave, and that was big context for that. And the offensive coordinator left and, and whatever. But I, I think that this is probably the one that is the most. Wow. You left the ACC champion for a team that did not win your conference, by the way. Yeah. So that's that's at the moment, probably the leader in the clubhouse. Jameer Gibbs to go from Georgia Tech to Alabama as a running back, hugely impactful for Alabama. I don't think for for the fact that Alabama didn't make the playoff, I think they would not have been who they were without Jameer Gibbs, but he's leaving Georgia Tech. He'd been a great player. I mean, he'd been a thousand-yard rusher at Georgia Tech. He's excellent, but you also get Georgia Tech to Bama. That's a a multiple-tier jump. So it's a big impact, but we get it, right? We get it? Yeah. Look, I I don't want to, like, Pitt to USC is obviously a jump. It's not a huge jump. Georgia Tech to Alabama, that's that's quite a jump. Georgia Tech, I, I'm not going to get into a Georgia Tech rant. I'm not going to do it. Uh, but but yes, that is a jump. So that was a big deal. Uh, Jared Verse, as we covered, from all the way to Florida State, hugely impactful. Spencer Rattler from Oklahoma to South Carolina really does matter because South Carolina beats Clemson and, and kind of keeps Clemson out of the playoff, which has an absolute playoff effect that you get a guy like Spencer Rattler, who was a preseason Heisman favorite at a at a blue blood in Oklahoma, doesn't work out, goes down maybe two tiers. And then, you know, South Carolina is not winning 11 games, but it elevated South Carolina to the point that they were able to throw a monkey wrench into the playoff picture. So Spencer Rattler, that's a big deal. We don't want to spend a lot of time on Spencer Rattler. Olu Oluwatimi honestly might have been the most impactful transfer of last season goes from Virginia to Michigan is the best center in the country is the heartbeat of the Michigan offense is as good of a center as you will see in college football in that run game. And I don't know at the time if people, I mean, he was like, you know, you go to lists. I, I'm getting a lot of this stuff off the two, four, seven sports portal tracker, which is really good. I would direct anybody to that. He's like a, in the top 15 biggest transfers there. But I don't know that we thought, well, that's it. Pencil in Michigan for the playoff. They got Olu Timmy, but we should have. He was awesome. But again, it's a tear jump. But man, did that matter for Michigan. Tear jump and a coaching change, by the way. Bronco Mendenhall left. Tony Elliott came in. So I, I think that while certainly Virginia fans weren't happy about it, and, and he was also, I think, one of three players to transfer, they essentially had to rebuild their entire offensive line. So, you know, look. Virginia fans probably a little upset, but I think that when you have a coaching change like that, you get it. And I, I do think that Virginia to Michigan obviously is a pretty big jump. So hugely impactful transfer, like you said. You are you are probably the foremost uh Olu Oluwatimi fan on the internet. Uh mm. but you know, I, I think that uh, I, I think that it's well deserved. I almost at the combine, I almost walked up and told him that I was it, it'd be one of these things. <laughs> I all I almost voted for you for the Heisman because I didn't. <laughs> and is that something that you would tell someone? I say, I hey, Olu, I did five versions of my Heisman ballot, and the first one I had you third. And he's like, Oh, you voted me third for the Heisman? It's like, no, 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 I didn't actually do it. But I had a <laughs> practice ballot where I so then I didn't do it. 
So I walk <laughs> up to players and say weird things sometimes. But I mean, I definitely at the combine walked up to Joe Burrow and said, you stand like Tom Brady because he stands <laughs> like Tom Brady. And then I always think they, 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 they're nice. And then, but I always think in their head, they, they all think the same thing. Get away from me, old man. So I didn't do it. I didn't do it to him. I probably should. Here's the one that I think fits it the best, except I think it also mattered and also didn't matter. It's maybe the strangest big time impactful transfer so far. And it's Jermaine Burton going from Georgia to Alabama, where he leads Alabama in receptions. He leaves Georgia with a national championship ring to go to Alabama, the team that Georgia beat in the national championship game. He goes to Alabama, is their leading receiver. And I don't know. I don't know that Georgia missed him. I don't know that he really helped Alabama that much. It's like it was fine. But on the surface, if you were like, oh, <laughs> right, Georgia to Bama, receiver who matters, who will be Bama's leading receiver, but it, like, it's odd how it, little it feels like it mattered for how on paper you would think it might be earth-shaking. I think that unfortunately, Jermaine Burton's transfer actually helped Georgia a whole lot because it made Todd Monken realize we can only throw to the tight ends. It's going to be great. It's going to be awesome. And then they decided to be one of the greatest offenses in the last couple of years. So yeah, that was a weird one because I, I mean, any player leaving the national champions and a team that they start on is it, so strange. Now, there's the context, of course, that Jermaine Burton felt like with Stetson Bennett at quarterback playing in this offense, he was never going to have a chance to show that he's a dynamic player. And so he went to go play with the Heisman Trophy winner instead. I, I think it's fair to say it didn't work. I, I don't think it worked at all for him. And like you said, I don't think that Georgia or Alabama really cared all that much about what Jermaine Burton did this year. So that's kind of what's happened so far. And Caleb Williams excluded, you know, it. It matters, but it hasn't completely changed the, the face of college football. So let's talk about what might happen in 2023 and then how teams should be approaching this. We'll do it next on the College Football Survivor Show. So, Shahan, one of the things that is a little bit odd about this is like Georgia and Bama both lose a lot of guys. They really do. Like they, they, their out, output is pretty large, but they're also kind of fine. But you look, I mean, to lose Jermaine Burton, now they lose A.D. Mitchell. Georgia out of that receiver room going to Texas. That feels like it could matter. Trez Mark talking about this George Alabama thing. Trez Marshall leaves is reports from Alabama or he's looking good in the linebacker room at Alabama. I think could be a starter there this year. They lost Jaheim Singletary, who was a big time cornerback recruit that they flipped from Ohio State. They lost him to Arkansas. They lost three different guys to Nebraska. In the portal this offseason, like Matt Rule's like, hey, I know what uh, I, I know how to go about this. Let's go get a bunch of Georgia guys and see what happens. But they've also brought in Smoke Bowie from Texas A&M, and they brought in two new receivers, one from Mississippi State, one from Missouri. So they're very comfortable churning their receiver room, just like Alabama has been very comfortable churning their receiver room. It is a little bit odd to me to think about all these pretty decent players leaving Georgia, but also I think maybe it has zero effect on the two-time defending national champs. No, and, and something that 
you know, with Alabama and Georgia and Ohio State that you have to remember is that if these guys aren't contributing, obviously it doesn't mean that they're not great players, but it does mean that they might not be in the plans long term. You know, these programs recruit so well that they can afford to do that. Now, again, obviously, you know, that's where you draw the contrast with Texas A&M is that these programs are typically, with individual exceptions, not losing players that they'd like to keep. And while it's going to matter, and I think it'll certainly matter from a depth perspective, and Georgia's got to continue to obviously recruit uh, those second level and third level guys in these upcoming recruiting classes. That's why I think you shouldn't be too concerned about it whenever you're looking at the transfer portal. So how should this work? What I what I really want to get down to here in the end is the best teams. And I you know, we have a good example. It's it's not teams trying to jump up a tier. It's a team that's already in a tier. So sure. Michigan State 2 years ago with Mel Tucker really churns the transfer portal and creates a New Year's Six quality team really on the back of the portal in, in a really effective way. But that's Mel Tucker trying to trying to make a jump at Michigan State. And then and then they kind of fall back this past year as a result. But but I really am trying to figure out how Georgia, Alabama, USC, Ohio State, LSU, these programs should be approaching it. And let's Nick Saban talked about this recently, and I, I'm I'm reading from quotes from a Nick Saban news conference that were, were recorded on multiple sites. They do have Tres Marshall from Georgia at linebacker who's making an impact. C.J. Dupree at tight end is a Maryland transfer that, again, multiple big-time programs wanted. We talked about Jamison Williams. We talked about Henry To'o'o'o. They've really had some hits in the transfer portal. Here's what Saban said. What we've tried to do when it comes to the portal is look at guys that we think can make an immediate impact on our team. We have always tried to build our team with good recruiting of good young players who sort of fit the culture of what we want to do. I think most of the players that we've taken from the portal, and I think there's been six prior to this year, five of those guys all made significant impacts on the team. One guy got injured and probably didn't have the opportunity to do it. We're going to continue that same philosophy of how we bring guys into the team. We still have to manage the roster. We still have to manage numbers. I think you've always got to take that into consideration when you're dealing with the portal as well. So when you think about Jameer Gibbs, when you think about Jermaine Burton, when you think about To'o Toho, when you think about Jamison Williams, Ty Harrell's a receiver uh, transfer they got from Louisville last year who kind of had some injury stuff. You can, it's as usual. Saban does a lot of stuff right. It's you change the rules however you want. And Saban always warns everybody. And people take it as Saban complaining. He's not complaining. He's warning you. He's telling you, okay, are you sure you want to do this? Because I'm not sure it's great for the sport. But if you do it this way, I'm going to beat you at it. I'm going to, I'm going to win whatever the rules are. Is this philosophy, this Alabama philosophy, exactly what a great playoff caliber team should be doing? Or could you do more? Because on one hand, it's like, I think Saban's under, almost underplaying a little bit. It's like, hey, we've had guys who've made an impact. It's like, Jamison Williams was your best player. Like, Jameer Gibbs was your best, was your second best offensive player behind Bryce Young last year. Like, this is, they've really hit in a major way, but is Saban doing it right? The short answer is yes. I, I do think that he's doing it right. I mean, if you are 
one of these teams, if you are Alabama, if you're Georgia, if you're Ohio State, if you're LSU, I think that you are doing maintenance. And the the comparison that I've heard that I really like is think about it from an NFL perspective. You can try to build a team through free agency, but you are building something far more sustainable if you build it through the draft and then fill holes in free agency. The transfer portal is free agency. You can add players, but you don't get as much bang for your buck historically as if you draft a player and you have more years with them and they come through your program and et cetera, et cetera. I think there's a lot of comparisons there. The one contrast that I will say is a situation like USC with Lincoln Riley because they are setting up their program right now. They are looking at their board and saying, we need a second year linebacker to slot in somewhere. And we can either take that kid from high school or JUCO, or we can get a transfer to fill in there. The big thing, if you are trying that, that I would point out is you need to be really conscious of your board uh, and be really conscious of your numbers and understand exactly where you're slotting somebody in. Because if you're just taking one year guys to to like fill holes, I mean, frankly, that's how you get Michigan stated. That That's how that happens is you have a really good class of seniors and high end juniors who maybe will leave and then they leave. You have to be planning to make sure that you're not just going to lose all of those players that next year. But with this one-year immediate transfer rule, because I I do think that that was more common, especially with graduate transfers, where they only have a year or two left. Now you can get kids who have four years of eligibility left and slot them on your board as transfers. So so I think that that's the, the other part that you say. But realistically, if you're recruiting at the level of these top end teams, these top 10 type teams, you want to build first through uh, through recruiting because that is like building through the draft and you can identify exactly who you think will project into your program and mold them the way that you want to. And really, I think it is ultimately more about how can we slot in immediate impact players who can make a difference on this team uh, through the transfer portal. So the thing that I think I, one of the things I like least about the portal is the idea that great teams are no longer punished for bumps. By the way, Tyler Steen, Vanderbilt to Alabama last year is their starting left tackle. So you look, so on one hand, Saban's like, hey, you know, we just do it for specific things. And on the other hand, it's like, well, they're starting running back, their leading receiver, and their left tackle last year were all portal guys. So it's like, okay, like that's kind of a lot. Congratulations on recruiting Bryce Young. But holy moly, if the portal didn't exist, I don't know what Bama would have done last year. I like punish. Bama's had trouble recruiting and developing receivers the last couple of years, right? Once they lost the great, the Waddle, Smith, Judy, Ruggs quartet. They've really had a problem, but Jamison Williams solved their problem. Jermaine Burton solved their problem. They thought Ty Harrell was going to solve their problem. I like good teams having problems. So on one hand, you're creating opportunities. I think people think the portal levels the playing field. On the other hand, I I, I almost feel like you are decreasing the chances of the best, best, best programs having truly down years. When Ryan Day got to Ohio State, their quarterback room was not where they wanted it to be. And then Justin Fields magically solved it. It's like, well, problem solved. Well, what if Ryan Day, to start his career, had had to figure out a Tate Martell, Matthew Baldwin quarterback room? That would have been quite the chore. But, you know, like you're you're instantly able to, to specifically and strategically 
fill these gaps, which then to me means I'm not sure Alabama will ever have a roster hole ever again. I'm not sure Georgia or Ohio State or USC with Lincoln Riley or Florida State gets it rolling. Florida State's really worked the portal this offseason. Michigan's worked the portal this offseason. I don't know. Now I just feel like an old man griping, but I almost (laughs) want good teams to be punished for their failures in roster building. And I think that era might be over because all a hole is 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 now a pitch to a transfer. It's like, hey. It's like, hey, what happened? I thought I thought Alabama always had good running backs. It's like, hey, Jameer Gibbs, you will start bang from the jump. You're the guy. It's like, really? At Alabama, you want the Georgia? Yeah, no, no, we do. We want you. We don't have Derrick Henry. We want you. It's a pitch. I don't know, Shahan. I want people <laughs> to suffer. Is that so wrong? Do I want I want greatness to suffer? That's all. Well, well, okay. Here's what I'll ask. This past season, do you know out of all the players who who blocked on this team, do you know where Tyler Steen ranked in PFF's blocking grade on Alabama? Number one. He was 12th. Oh. Okay. He, he was 12th. He was their starting left tackle, and he was okay. In some ways, they might have actually benefited from the idea of trying to develop one of their guys instead of feeling like, well, let's just plug a hole. Let's just plug a hole. What's the big deal? Let's just plug a hole. If you look... At this Alabama team this past season, they lost two games in the regular season. They finished number five, which actually is the second worst rating that they've had since 2013, which is obviously just ridiculous, but whatever. Um, This was their worst season in a lot of ways. And I think that at least some part of it is they went in with the mindset of, well, let's just get a left tackle and a receiver. And both of those guys ended up being not very good players. Because you don't actually know what you're signing up for when you go to the portal. And obviously you have these moments like the Jameson Williams where everything is great. Uh, Jameer Gibbs was great for them. Although I like he was really, really good for them. Also, not like he, he didn't completely transform what that team was or could accomplish. And I think that in some ways their reliance on the portal. I actually, Eli Ricks is the big one. Eli Ricks was supposed to be their superstar cornerback coming in from LSU and was a total non-factor on that team. And they had issues at the position that Eli Ricks was supposed to fill. You don't know what you are signing up for until those guys are on campus. And Alabama this past year, Try to be really specific about, hey, you know what? We're going to take, you know, two receivers. Uh, Tyler Harrell, another player, did not contribute whatsoever at receiver and ended up transferring a second time. You don't know what you're signing up for. And and when you go in and you're Alabama and you say, we can just pick and choose exactly who we want, and then you pick wrong, this is what happens. And like you said, now, Trez Marshall coming in, good reviews coming from camp. CJ Dupree going to be a contributor for them at tight end. But like that's all they took. They took two guys, and they're like, we have to find ways to fix the roster by ourselves. If we're not confident in a kid, which there are plenty of guys who they added who they should have felt confident about last year and didn't perform for them. But you know, if we don't feel confident about a kid, we don't need. We probably shouldn't take a Tyler Steen this time around. We probably shouldn't take an Eli Ricks this time around. We, we can take a Trez Marshall, who's been a contributor at Georgia. We can take a CJ Dupree, who's a great player at Maryland. Who, by the way our old offensive coordinator can speak to, by the way, Mike Loxley obviously now being at Maryland. And I I think that 
a lot of teams are going to try to use it as an advantage and actually end up disadvantaging themselves by maybe not understanding what they actually need. And and there, like you mentioned, there's individual circumstances. I mean, Justin Fields coming to Ohio State feels pretty good. But I will also mention, like, Justin Fields, obviously, you know, the greatest quarterback in the history of football because he starts for my Chicago Bears now. But, you know, look, do you, do I think that Ryan Day could have figured out the quarterback situation at Ohio State by his second season? Yeah, absolutely. Like, absolutely. They could have found somebody. I think that maybe not Tate Martell, but, you know, maybe Matthew Baldwin could have been a player. He was obviously dealing with injuries by the time that he transferred from the program. I, I don't know. They would have figured it out. I, I'm pretty confident that Ryan Day could have figured out a quarterback pretty early in his career. So I, I get the concern, but I do think that actually transfers sometimes force programs into almost galaxy branding themselves out of doing the right thing and letting their own players develop. I think that's right. It felt like right there were maybe some gripes from, you know, former players and some people around the Alabama program last year. Are they are they too reliant on transfers? It's funny. Saban's sort of like, ah, we only did it. But you just point again, Eli Ricks was it was a huge one and didn't really work out. So add him. Like, there were like four guys last year that they were they were expecting. That's four of their 22 starters as instant portal things at really important positions. These aren't they're not guards. They're not, you know. Defensive. These are running back, receiver, left tackle, corner. These are like premium positions, and you're bringing in yours, bringing in guys. I do think the sideways transfers maybe are more what you want to stay away from. I think like the Jared Verse Albany to Florida State, like that's how it works. Oh, for Justin Fields was great. Ohio State all the time talks about Jonah Jackson, who was an All Big Ten player at Rutgers, transfers to Ohio State. It's a day two pick in the NFL draft and goes right into starting on the on offensive line for the Detroit Lions and was an excellent offensive lineman for Ohio State when they had a hole in the offensive line. That's a jump up. It's within the Big Ten, but Rutgers to Ohio State. You find these guys who, hey, they were just under the radar as a recruit, but now they're ready for a jump up. That's maybe where these, I think these programs have the best opportunity. The, uh, the playoff programs say, you know, hey, we're going to go get the guy the best player in the Mac. We're going to go get one of the best players in conference USA who has proven himself to be an sec player or a PAC 12 player or a big 10 player. And I do think that can work out. Would you be, if you were a head coach of a team with a legitimate chance to win a national championship, would you be wary? And would you sometimes say no to Good, solid players who want to come to your program because, and I do think, and I know for a fact this is, at times is a conflict for some coaches, you are giving up something in the development process if you're bringing in an outsider to jump to the front of the line in a position group. Would you think about that as a head coach at a big-time program? I'd absolutely think about that. And the other part that I think I'd think really hard about is – when I add a transfer, even somebody who I think is going to be good, even if I think I'm adding Jared Verse or Jamison Williams, you have to think about them as just being a guy in that room. And maybe they hit. But you're adding depth. That That's how you have to think about transfers. You're adding depth at, in the wide receiver room when you add Jamison Williams. And if he competes and wins and finds his way to the top, then that's great. But I don't think that you can think, I'm adding a guy my problem is solved now. You have to go and, and know that, you know, it, there's a realistic chance that when I add X player, he's going to be at the back of the line 
And and I think you have to be comfortable with that. I think that that's one thing with some of these, uh, you know, middle to lower tier teams that I think that they're understanding at a high level is, hey, getting somebody who has great pedigree coming in the room is great. And maybe they might not start, but they still can add something to the room. You have to, I think, be pretty confident about what a player can add to the room if they aren't on the field to, to really feel comfortable taking a guy. Because the reality is, look at the teams that have won national championships over the last little while obviously you have a, an instance with joe burrow transferring from ohio state but he was uh, was he a grad transfer i can't remember he was he was a he was. grad transfer right like an instant uh, availability type guy who also got to play a full year and be kind of bad at lsu in 2018 before he finally exploded in 2019 like these are not these are not get out of jail free cards. And I think that some coaches treat it like that. And I would be extremely wary of that because the reality is, you know, I I think that a good example of how this was used well last year is maybe Jaden Daniels at LSU. Yes. Jaden Daniels came in. They also had other players that they felt like Mm. could compete for that starting quarterback job. And Jaden Daniels proved that he belonged. But if Jaden Daniels didn't work out, they would have had players that they felt good about. You have to have that balance. And we'll finish on this note. It's about quarterbacks. And sometimes when you're doing a podcast and you're doing research and you're like, I don't have time to do nine hours of research on this. And you think you cross your fingers and you get in the old Google machine and you think, man, I wonder if someone else did this research already. And this happened to me today. And I just want to shout it out. Steven Lassen at Athlon Sports. This is from January 25th. College football's projected starting quarterbacks for 2023 transfers reign supreme because I was like, I wonder how many transfers might start this year. And there's charts here. It's every school. It's amazing. And so Power 5, potentially 62% of Power 5 teams could start a transfer at quarterback this year, Shahan. And I am not surprised by it. But for instance, I know I've gone through like the Big Ten and Luke Altmeyer at Illinois and Hudson Card at Purdue and Jeff Sims or uh, the other guy at Nebraska. Like I lost track there. Like Casey Thompson. I think, yeah. Casey Thompson. I think six of the seven teams or five of the seven teams in the Big Ten West, Cade McNamara at Iowa, are potential transfer quarterbacks. That number, and I'm thinking about. I think there are there are five potentially very, very, very good Pac-12 teams this year. Michael Penix Jr. at Washington, transfer quarterback. Bo Nix at Oregon, transfer quarterback. Caleb Williams at USC, transfer quarterback. DJ Uyunglele at Oregon State, transfer quarterback. Cam Rising at Utah, transfer quarterback. Is that right? Cam Rising's at Texas, doesn't quite work out. He's a big-time recruit. He winds up at Utah. He hits in a big way, but I don't know that Utah gets Cam Rising out of high school. Michael Penix, really good at Indiana, you know, gets back with Kalen DeBoer, like that hits. Bo Nix, good, little bit weird at Auburn, boom, Oregon, like finds another level. DJ, hoping to do that at Oregon State, and we know Caleb Williams. Like that example, these quarterbacks, because we're talking about a lot of these, like, right, Jaden Daniels at LSU, Michael Penix at Washington, Bo Nix at Oregon, playoff contenders, absolute playoff contenders. Utah's been a playoff contender. What do we think about that? And is quarterback transferring for playoff contenders, is that viewed in your mind any differently than all the other positions? I think so. Also, I think that it is a much more natural thing to do to transfer as a quarterback because 
you can only play one quarterback. And if you're not the guy and you're not part of the plans, you're setting yourself back years. One thing that I will mention with all the guys that you named, uh, I'll, I'll put Michael Penix aside because Michael Penix played for Kalen DeBoer when he was offensive coordinator at Indiana. So he knew what he was getting. Look at those other guys. They all entered quarterback competitions once they got there. They were not sort of handed the job. Cameron Rising had to beat out multiple players. Uh, He actually was behind Charlie Brewer, remember, last year before he finally got the job. Uh, Bo Nix had to compete with some interesting players who were at Oregon. Uh, I I think that when you have competition – I think Nebraska is a good example of this, right? Where you have Casey Thompson, like you mentioned, coming back. You've got Jeff Sims. Uh, you got Chubba Purdy on campus too, right? Like three players who I think that you feel like are legitimate FBS quarterbacks who have a chance to start. And I would put that in contrast to a situation like Iowa with Cade McNamara, where there's nobody else who you feel like should have any business starting. That's concerning to me. You are mortgaging a season, I think, on a bet. In some ways. Now, uh, Spencer Peters is back, I believe. So, like, you know, they can, they, they have some options, I guess. But, like, I, I think that it is more concerning to me when you don't have a competition when, it, when you come there. You know, when you don't have legitimately other players who have a chance to win that job. I think that competition is good. And I love, for example, the idea that Bo Nix came to the top and, and proved that he was the guy who belonged. I, I, you know, and this is also probably a question that I'll have about, uh, DJU, you know, I think that that I want to see him pushed. I want to see Aiden Childs come in, the the really good freshman quarterback, top one hundred and fifty recruit. I, I want to see uh, Ben Goldbranson, the the incumbent, improve and have a chance to be a little bit better. But that's when I'd feel good about it. Is when I feel like I'm adding it to a room that I feel okay about and feel like I can upgrade, as opposed to, man, please come and save my program. Yeah, I I think it we have to view it differently. And like you said, you know, Bo Nix beat out Ty Thompson, who was like a big time quarterback, right, for Oregon. Yep, yep. And then Dante Moore, who was committed to Oregon, decides to go to UCLA. The idea that Bo Nix was staying for another year at Oregon maybe contributed to that. And Oregon's making choices there, right? But you're not it's not all or nothing. And then I do think quarterbacks are accustomed to competition. And then Every quarterback who doesn't win a starting battle, if you lose to a transfer, then you can transfer. Then you can go beat out somebody else, and the guy who loses to you can transfer. So it's a constant thing. So I do think that era where good backup quarterbacks, it is the Joe Burrow example. And like Ohio State sells the Joe Burrow example. Ohio State does not hide from the Joe Burrow example. Ohio State's in the midst of a quarterback competition right now with Kyle McCord and Devin Brown. It's certainly not a certainty or or maybe probably not even likely that the loser would leave. But I think as you recruit, it's like, listen, man, you can come here and either A, be the starter, or if you're not the starter, we'll try to develop you and then you can go be the starter somewhere else. Like be ready to win a job elsewhere, just like Joe Burrow did. So I do think there are ways that programs that that can benefit everybody and I think your your point is a very good one. I don't know that you want only a constant pipeline of transfer quarterbacks, but I think they can supplement you, provide competition. If they win, they win, and we'll end on this. If Drake May transferred from North Carolina to Alabama and was Alabama's starting quarterback this year, which was like a thing that people were talking about at one point, because we know Alabama has a quarterback competition and Drake May is viewed as a future first-round draft pick in the NFL. Is everybody cool with that? Or is that like, come on, 
what <laughs> Bama gets that guy. Bama doesn't have to go through Jalen Milrow and Ty Thompson, and they're both good recruits, and you develop them, but are they sure things? No, they don't have to suffer a little bit and deal with the outcome. They just get a Drake May freebie because, again, Ohio State got a freebie in Justin Fields, but he didn't – he didn't look like a first-round draft pick when he did it, Georgia, on the field. Potentially, he's a five-star quarterback, number two recruit in the country. Drake May is is doing it. Like, are we cool with that? Are we cool with that? Because something like that is going to happen, right? Where we are going to have – that's back to the Caitlin Clark example. If that happened, we are going to have a situation – where one of the very best players in a sport leaves to go to a tier up program and changes the face of the national championship discussion for that sport. And it's going to feel like the team that got him got a free pass. Are we cool with that idea whenever it's going to happen? Cause we believe it'll happen eventually. Right. I wouldn't love it. <laughs> I, I think that we, College football is such an interesting sport because it is so predicated on the idea that some teams have these impossible advantages that that other teams just can't touch. But it's also predicated on the idea that like we don't have to think about them all the time, right? Like if we just sat here and thought like, well, they're only like I say, I mean, I, I hate thinking it and talking about it, but like there are three programs in college football that are just doing things that are different than everybody else. If all we were allowed to do is sit here and ponder how those three programs can and should have everything that they want, like this wouldn't be a very fun sport to be quite honest. It, it wouldn't. And that's why I try to, to open my mind and watch UTEP and Wyoming uh, and not just, you know, Alabama, Ohio state and Georgia, and I think that that would I, – I think that, look, there's a gap between what USC and Pitt are. There's a gap between what Wisconsin and Central Michigan are, et cetera, et cetera. And, and we can acknowledge these things. I, I think that when we get to a point where we look at the team that's in the ACC title game in North Carolina and, – and, and Pitt, by the way, who won the thing last year and, and programs of that ilk and say – Actually, it's not even valuable to play at those programs anymore. I, I think that we are going to get dangerously close to losing the plot of college football. So I'll throw one final what if at you. This one almost makes me sick to my stomach, but, <laughs> but we have to think about it. 2016 Heisman race. Yeah. Lamar Jackson is unbelievable. Lamar Jackson yeah. wins the Heisman and Deshaun Watson finishes second while and then goes on to lead. Clemson to a national championship and that finishes Deshaun Watson's college career and Clemson now needs a quarterback for 2017 and they wind up playing Kelly Bryant and Kelly Bryant leads Clemson to the number one seed in the regular season and does a really good job Lamar Jackson's back he has to be what if Lamar Jackson would have said you know what I'm gonna go to Clemson they just won the national championship they just won it with a quarterback I love Louisville but there's a ceiling on what we can do here I'm going to go to the national champs to re um, to replace the guy who finished second to me in the Heisman race. And Clemson would have been like, listen, man, we're, we are all about excellence and we're going to go get, we have a, we know Trevor Lawrence is committed to us. We feel like we have a one year window in here. It's one year of Lamar. 
It is a perfect fit. We are doing this. We're all in. Are we all in on Lamar Jackson, Clemson Tiger? Or are we saying, oh, how is this possible? They're going from Deshaun Watson to Lamar Jackson with this freebie transfer. Well, uh, Clemson would have never given Lamar Jackson a guaranteed contract. We know that. Yes. But <laughs> And Lamar would have been negotiating for himself. And this is like yeah. this is pre-NIL. So he doesn't all even this have is, an agent. Yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> or, or, so pre-NIL, it's just about opportunity and exposure and a chance to win a national championship. Post-NIL, if NIL had existed back then, it's Clemson boosters saying, we'll pay $2 million to get the Heisman winner right, to right, come right. here for a year. Right? <laughs> Do we like it? Do we like Lamar uh, Jackson, Clemson Tiger? Uh, so people might remember back in 2016 that the Warriors came back from a 3-1 deficit to beat Kevin Durant and go to the NBA Finals. And uh, then Kevin Durant maybe sort of might have gone and joined the Warriors. And I think that uh, the reaction to it would be about like that. And you know what? Lamar Jackson might have gone and won a national championship and et cetera, et cetera, whatever. And I think it would have been treated about the same <laughs> because the reality is I, I think that if Lamar Jackson felt like that was the best opportunity for him to develop and whatever, like, fine, go do it. But it does, I think, impact then the way that we look at these teams and even how we look at these championships, right? Like, I, I do think it does. So no, it would not have been my favorite thing. And and again, I think that there is it, it's a it's a dangerous thing to question the existence of programs like Louisville or North Carolina and whether they can deserve to have nice things at all. I think that that is an existential question for the sports. By the way, Clemson and Louisville did play in 2016. Clemson won 42 to 36. Deshaun Watson accounted for five touchdowns. Lamar Jackson accounted for three. Lamar Jackson threw for 295 and ran for 162. He is unbelievable. Deshaun Watson <laughs> threw for 306 and ran for 91. So, and Louisville was actually ranked higher than Clemson going into that game in October. And then Clemson wins and Deshaun is on his way and Clemson's on its way, but Lamar's also on his way to a Heisman. So like that's that's what I think we need to think about. And I just think that's coming. Whether it's Drake May, whether it's Lamar Jackson, there's something beyond Joe Burrow, Justin Fields, Caleb Williams, where you can all sort of explain it away. There's the inexplicable, yet also totally understandable, game-changing, sport-changing transfer ahead Haley Van Lith I think is is a, is not quite there as a women's basketball player from Louisville Caitlin Clark would be right where we know what it would be like and the, and the thing is it's I think it's why women's basketball is a good example here because in men's basketball it's never going to happen because anybody who is that good is just going to the NBA they're not going to transfer you know what I mean like it's not it's it's, it's a different consideration for football and women's basketball because you have great players who are coming back but maybe want to level up and change the sport. So we haven't seen it yet. We haven't seen it yet, but I think we will, and I think we are all going to have to decide how we feel about it. But I think the Duran example is good. And what do you think that ran? Negative, positive. 80% against when that happened? 
Who are the 20%? Are there 20% no, of the country who are Warriors fans? I don't even think that Warriors fans liked it that much. Because I'll tell you what, they also love Steph. They don't love KD. They don't care about KD. That's just some dude who got Steph some rings. We don't, they don't care about him. So, no, it, it wasn't good. Another one, by the way, that uh, not not quite to the level of, of this maybe necessarily, but you know who was a player on a Big Ten team that made the Sweet 16 that went on to make the, the Elite Eight, by the way, this past year before she transferred? Angel Reese, the the most outstanding mm, player yep. of the 2023 NCAA tournament. So this happens. This is probably going to happen. I, I think I think the one thing that I'll say is that I think it's a little less likely in college football because I you know, when you have a team of 12 to 15, like that's like a group of friends can get together and change everything, right? Like that's that's how this works. That literally happened with the Miami Heat, obviously. I, I think in football, you can have these moments, but I don't think it's quite as likely that we just see this teaming up and things like that maybe because I think that just the dynamics of the sport are a little bit different. But we're going to see it at some point. At some point, there is going to be a Drake May that transfers to Alabama. Uh, at some point, there is going to be a Caleb Williams who decides to transfer somewhere else. It's going to happen. But I, I hope that we're insulated a little from it. And by the way, if that happens, that team better win. Or that, oh, I know. That, the, Drake, the hypothetical Drake May would get slandered to hell and back if he went to Alabama and didn't win the title. And, and it's not about the player. Because I do think people want players to have freedom and opportunity and have a chance to maybe make more NIL money. But can you make a rule that players that great players should have freedom and opportunity as long as they don't go to Alabama, Georgia, Clemson, Ohio state, or USC is everything like, like that's what it is. As long as they don't go to one of the programs where everybody else in college football feels like those programs already have everything. Why do they also get that? That's it's real. It's not anti-player. It's anti-top of the sport that a lot of people feel like those handful of teams are already dominating. Why do we have to make it easier for them? Right. And and I think that the one part of this that does insulate us is that I mean these guys are competitors. Like these guys are competitors. They they want to beat the Giants. They don't necessarily just want to come in and be the Giants, especially if the Giants didn't want them in the first place. Right. I, I think that that is a huge yeah. factor, which is, by the way, something that makes the Kevin Durant thing all the funnier because like that that's that's the thing that I think that nobody will ever truly understand is that I mean, I know that Kevin Durant's a competitor, but like <laughs> It's, it's crazy, right? Like, it's crazy. The idea of just being like, I'm the best player in the world. And I also, you know, it would be nice if I played for the best team in the world, too. Like, that is just not a mindset that is remotely pervasive in sports, I, I think. I think that that is such a rare mindset to have. The idea of, like, I'm just going to do the easier thing. Because everything that this level of athlete has ever been through is against the odds. You should not be as good at football as Lamar Jackson. Nobody should be. It, you are 0.000001% if you are a Lamar Jackson. And I think that when you've proven yourself in that kind of way, the idea of just joining the big dogs doesn't seem quite as fun as proving that you can do it. And so 
I, I think that that does legitimately insulate us a little bit, but the day's coming where there, there'll be a, another Heisman caliber, Kevin Durant type quarterback, and they're going to get slandered to hell. I do like, I like that Kevin Durant is like made it a little bit easier as well. It can't be as bad as it was for Durant. So like all these college guys would be like, oh, well, you know, Caitlin Clark would be like, well, if Caitlin Clark wanted to leave Iowa, at least it won't be as bad as Durant. Okay. Um, I like when Shahan, I'm always tempted, Shahan, it's a college football playoff show. On Twitter, you often have interesting other sport opinions. And there is a part of me that wants to do a completely non-football show. I'm tempted, like, it's like, should the second show this week just be an NBA playoff show <laughs> with you? Because I kind of want to hear your thoughts on how you think the West is going to shake out. So let's keep that in mind. Let's we're just talk sports, man. We're just talking sports. So <laughs> talking sports. We'll, 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 we'll keep that in mind. Maybe we'll at least do a little tease of NBA playoff stuff on the next show. For now, <laughs> we appreciate you guys making us part of your college football fandom. For Shahan Jeharaja of CBS Sports, I'm Doug Maurice, and that was the College Football Survivor Show. The College Football Survivor Show, where playoff survival is always on the line.